Hello and welcome to another episode of the Closer Look Podcast. I'm Tara Smith, Digital Content Director for Times Review Media Group. It's Thursday, October 27th, and we're weeks away from a midterm election that could decide the balance of power in Washington. Our editorial team recently met with Democrat Bridget Fleming, a Suffolk County legislator and Noyak resident seeking the congressional seat to represent New York's first district. She's running against Republican Nick Lalota for the open seat that's been held since 2014 by Republican Lee Zeldin, who is now the GOP nominee in the governor's race. On this episode, here editors Steve Wick and Joe Workmeister and reporters Tim Gannon and Brianne Letta learn more about Bridget's core issues as she makes the case to earn your vote on Election Day, November 8th. This interview was recorded on Thursday, October 20th, and has been edited for length and clarity. So thank you for coming in this morning. We really appreciate it. Um, obviously an extremely important election coming up. Tell us a little about, about your own biography and why you got into politics and what leads you up to this race. Sure, thank you. Well, I think you all know I'm Bridget Fleming. I, um, I've lived in this district for over 20 years uh, for uh, with my my husband Bob, my son Jay, who went through public school uh, here and is now off at college, our beautiful Springer Spaniel, Dune. Uh, we live in Noyak, we're the same house we've been in for uh, over 20 years. And for about half of those years, I've been in local public office. So I was, um, I was uh, the only Democrat on the Southampton Town Board for a while, and now since 2016 I've been in the Suffolk County Legislature, sit next to Al Krupski at the Horseshoe. I come from a working class family. My grandparents were uh, came from Ireland. My grandmother came by herself when she was 16 years old. She met a guy from her same town in Ireland. They met here in New York, um, but he passed away very young, and so she was faced with raising her children by herself. Um, my and she was a maid in hotels. My father was her fourth. And when he, you know, when he grew up and, and went on with his life, he saw that, you know, seeing the, the experiences of the um, service workers in the hotels, he committed to um, protecting working people. So he was a labor leader. He organized hotel workers, and then he was a pension fund administrator. So, and then my mother uh, got her bachelor's degree after the seventh of my siblings graduated from high school herself and went off. So my mom actually went on to get a, uh, a master's degree. She was a fine creative writer and she actually had a little uh, column in a local newspaper. I grew up with the understanding that nobody gets anywhere in life by themselves and that we were all in this together and that's what led me to public service. So I was an assistant DA in the Manhattan DA's office for almost 10 years. I was a sex crimes prosecutor so I stood up for uh, justice for victims of sexual violence, uh, victims of domestic violence, and then I was uh, the chief of a unit that prosecuted fraud in public programs, so protecting the integrity of housing programs and Medicaid. I'm running because I believe everyone should have a fair shot at the American dream. I believe in a, a medical uh, system that's affordable and accessible to everyone. I think that our tax system should be fair to everyone, not just wildly profitable corporations and the, and the very rich. I think Social Security and Medicare have to be protected and defended. I think um, we've got to do something about the epidemic of gun violence and the common, you know, they're very, very popular uh, common sense measures we can take, uh, but uh, that's not happening uh, with, for instance, the folks my opponent stands with. Um, and then, of course, 
um, I feel strongly that the government should not be in an examination room when a woman's trying to make a decision about what happens with her body. I have a very strong record of not only holding the line on taxes, but making sure that basic things are, are taken care of. I have the support of the police unions because of that. Um, also, you know, certainly have done a lot of work on water quality, water infrastructure, you know, trying to make sure that um, we are investing in a way that protects our economy, protects our coastlines in, in light of climate change, and I'd like to sort of move those efforts into the federal level where resources like the Army Corps of Engineers and, you know, support for the, the CHIPS Act and other investments in local government can be brought back to the, to the district in a way that I think someone with my background would be able to do. Before we talk about some of the nuts and bolts of the, this election and local issues like climate change, which is going to be huge here, yes. the, the hacking of the county system, yeah. how is that going to impact an election which is just three weeks away. The uh, Board of Elections has a separate server, so they've been up the whole time. So you don't see any issues on election night with getting returns out, getting telling people who what numbers came in? I, I hope not. They're process. I know I've been in touch. They're processing absentee ballots as we speak So and, and registrations. So they've told me that there are no problems. Obviously, the Supreme Court decision um, overturning Roe v. Wade has made major headlines this uh, you know, past few months. And yeah. obviously, as you said, you've been clear on your positions in trying to support uh, women's rights. Following that decision, what would have to happen now? You know, why is it important for you, you as a Democrat to be elected now that the, this decision you know, has come down? What, what's going to be next? It's critical because we need to codify the protections of Roe v. Wade in federal law. Um, this is a freedom, a basic fundamental human right, a fundamental freedom that American women have enjoyed for 50 years. Um, it helped to move us away from being second-class citizens who don't even have control over our own bodies, and it's a very dangerous step. Um, and so we need to reinstate that federal protection through federal legislation. So I would be honored to be able to play a part in history to do that. To say that the states should make the decisions is in effect abandoning women at the federal level. Women have had federal protection for 50 years uh, and critically important. Um, and so, so um, that is not a simple thing to say. That is not a, 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 a minor thing to say that we're hearing from that side and from my opponent that it's not our issue, it's a state's right issue. That's not true. It's a federal right that's been, that's been stripped away from women and needs to be reinstated. Because when you, when you let you know, uh, politicians uh, make decisions, any kind of one-size-fits-all decision, you are, you know, you're, you're basically abandoning the sense that it's important to allow doctors to provide medical care to the best of their ability because no one-size-fits-all rule is going to be able to take medical care into account. It's never going to be able to take into account the complex individual circumstances of any given pregnancy and any woman's health. So that's on the state's rights issue. On the, and that's also on the... On the um, trimester, that actually the, his position, second and third trimester abortion should be banned, is more extreme than Lindsey Graham's bill, which says 15 weeks, because 
second trimester is 12 weeks. But there's no arbitrary timeline that you can draw that's going to take into account medical care. The other thing that I, I think is really important we don't hear enough about, but as a sex crimes prosecutor, I, I do want to say um, this idea of an exception for you know rape, incest, or the life of a mother is is absurd because it can't play out in real life. Because I was a sex crimes prosecutor. When, when a woman has, or a girl, has the courage to report that she has been assaulted, um, that starts the process. There's an investigation. It goes in the grand jury. You have discovery. You have pretrial test, you know, hearings. You go to a jury. You go to a trial. And then many, many, many months after this report and the assault happened, Somebody, you know, we as a community say this was incest or this was rape. So go back to that moment in the emergency room or when a woman is, or a girl who's had that courage is first talking to her medical provider. And that medical provider has hanging over his or her head the threat of criminal prosecution if he or she gets it wrong. How is she going to render? How are they going to render medical care to that person? That doctor doesn't have time to do an investigation or consult a lawyer. What it does is strip away from that woman and or girl and from her doctor the ability to actually render medical care consistent with the, the doctor's Hippocratic oath and consistent with what is best for that woman. These positions are extreme and dangerous and they put women in danger. The only thing that's going to protect women, keep us from becoming once again second-class citizens is to say this is a federally recognized right, a fundamental human right, and every woman has the right to make decisions for herself regarding her health care. One of the things um, what we've heard some of the Republicans uh, saying, you know, on this argument is that abortion is safe and legal in New York as it is right now. They don't plan to change that, so you know this election doesn't necessarily have a bearing on the future because it is um, you know, legal in New York right now and they don't plan to change that. So it, it, is it at risk in New York if, if, um, re, if Republicans are elected? Look, my opponent says he, will, he himself supports a second and third trimester ban. There are a lot of these, these we've seen you know, the Republican who's running for governor flip-flop on this issue. Uh, he originally said that he wanted to see that happen. So we thought, especially when two Supreme Court justices in or candidates for the, the position in their confirmation hearings assured, con- assured senators that they would honor the Roe versus Wade decision, that it was settled law, and that the concept of stare decisis would keep the precedent, honoring precedent, would keep them from touching it. Well, that didn't happen. So this is so important that we cannot say that this full-on assault, what we see from Kevin McCarthy, by the way, and by the way, my opponent recently at a, at a uh, candidate's uh, forum said his number one priority would be to elect Kevin McCarthy Speaker of the House. It wasn't, you know, protect our waterways. It wasn't about, um, you know, bringing costs down or protecting public safety. Electing Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy said after the Dobbs decision that it was one of the that it was the most important pro-life decision in the history of the United States. That the GOP was not done with their work on abortion, and that he would support 
a, a, a nationwide ban. In terms of campaigning in the district, is that the issue you're hearing the most, Roe v. Wade, or what, what are the top three that you're hearing as you're campaigning in this district? Well, certainly, um, it, I, I, I would say the abortion uh, and protection for women's uh, fundamental right to make their own decisions. Would that be number one? I would say I would love to just keep it at three because there are a lot of people and it's a diverse district. So definitely uh, freedom of uh, medical care decisions and abortion. Uh, number and these are not in order. Number two is cost is inflation and the cost of living. And number three is public safety. Speaking of uh, inflation, economic issues are always obviously huge. We've seen, um, you know, costs skyrocketing across um uh, all, all, all across uh, you know, everything. And um, what can Congress do to try to um, you know, make life easier for you know, regular, regular Americans out here just trying to get by and, and try to keep costs down? You know, what kind of uh, measures can, can Congress take that well, you would there's certainly, support? Yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of things that can be done. And the first thing you need is folks in those seats in Congress who have a commitment to working people. So, um, I mean, we've seen over the course of... of decades now this idea that supply-side economics is going to take care of everyone really fail and we now have a circumstance where the very wealthy and the very and those who don't have economic opportunity are getting further and further apart and and we don't have support for the middle class so you first number one you need a congress member who's committed to that middle class i'm so uh, honored to have the support of of unions, uh, for bus drivers, electricians, grocery store workers, healthcare workers, even you know the police unions, because I do believe that it's critically important that those folks are um, are that somebody has their backs. This moment in time where we're coming out of the pandemic, uh, where there's the, the war in Ukraine, we have supply chain issues, we have production issues, we're seeing inflation. Um, and, and costs rise. It is a critically important moment for Long Islanders and for the American economy. Um, and we need, to, we need to render aid. So um, I, I helped to pass the uh, cap on the tax on gas, uh, which was one of the tools that, that we used that we saw, saw really had an impact on bringing gas prices down uh, over the course of the past several months. Every single day just dropped, and that's a critically important component. But there's a lot more that can and needs to be done. Um, we need to continue to, to um, create good jobs, and, and we, there's a lot that we can do. Uh, the CHIPS Act was a good start. The Infrastructure Act was a good start. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act was a good start. But for more immediate uh, needs, we really need to um, make sure that, for instance, production disruptions are not um, supported, that we don't incentivize um, you know, wildly profitable corporations from price gouging or otherwise holding up production in order to profit off the backs of, of middle-class people. Um, we need to um, make sure that the supply chain is, is functioning, uh, so truckers, ports, um, these are things that the federal government can do. Uh, certainly, we need to make more things, especially here on Long Island. I think, for instance, the Ocean Wind Project offers a lot of opportunity for manufacturing. The CHIPS Act, certainly, because we have 
uh, Brookhaven National Lab and, and Stony Brook. Um, you know, there is great opportunity for job creation there. So there are some short-term things, there are some long-term things. What it takes is commitment uh, and, and an eye on the ball. Um, so I think it's, it's a critically important issue and we need to keep working on it. Your opponent has um, talked about um, extracting more natural gas is, you know, here in the U.S. as a way to help alleviate those prices. Is, is that something you agree with or is that a, not a viable solution in your mind? Well, I know he's talked about, um, about uh, extracting oil. He's talked about fracking again on the southern tier. I don't think that that's tenable at this point, so it's an interesting thing that he's He's bringing up, but I want, I do want to talk a little bit about the oil extraction. First of all, more than half of the oil uh, leases currently in the United States are not in production. So the leases exist, uh, but the companies are not are not extracting oil. So that's an issue, um, and and I think that we should be very. Um, mindful of uh, preventing oil companies from you know hitting the little guy um, by wild profits because they're they're stopping production that's important we don't need more drilling the leases are already there Um, and the other thing that for us on the east end that just makes me think um, actually not only the east end all the way up to to fire island and and the long island sound all the way up to the huntington border where new york one is the idea that you would drill for oil is um, alarming and so out of touch with the district. A few years ago, um, uh, uh, the former president's um, secretary of the interior, uh, Ryan Zinke, um, proposed opening the Atlantic coastline for oil drilling. And we, at the local level, uh, you know, fought it successfully, but it was a hard fight. So the first thing they did is during the federal comment period, they were up in Albany with hearings 300 miles from the ocean. And so we worked with our partners in the, in the state assembly to bring the hearings to Brookhaven Town Hall. That it was packed hearing, universal opposition to this. Uh, originally, um, Mr. Zinke had said that, or Secretary Zinke at the time, had said that Florida would be exempted from the leasing program because uh, of the tourist industry. But New York, uh, Maryland, we're, we're in, we're in it, uh, Virginia. And so um, we fought hard to, to just, um, you know, let, the, let them know that to drill for oil on the Atlantic coastline would be a disaster for our bays, creeks, harbors, and our ocean coastline. Obviously, so many of these issues, you know, when we're talking about economics and, and whatnot, very complicated issues. And I think a lot of people kind of maybe look at it sort of in a somewhat simplistic way of just saying, you know, who's going to lower my taxes? You know, how, how can I pay less taxes? What can be done to just help, um, you know, lower some, some taxes? And, and you know, how would what you know, your ideas differ from what the Republicans may offer in terms of um, in terms of taxes? Well, the salt tax is a huge part of that equation, right? So um, the former president's um, tax reform, which was supported by people like Kevin McCarthy, um, placed a cap on our state and local tax deductions. Um, That was a direct hit on on New York. It was a direct hit on Long Island, suburban Long Island. And, you know, property taxes are high here. 
um, not so high on the east end, you know, in terms of uh, relative to the value of the home. But as you know, these home values are, are um, skyrocketing. So it is, it, is a big, it is a big deal to carry that. Um, you know, anything over 10,000 can't be uh, deducted. We've got we've to get that cap removed. Um, and that is something that, um, for instance, Kevin McCarthy, you know, supported that. Um, it's also, by the way, our President Biden was um, initially uh, resistant to the idea of removing that cap. And so it's a good, it's a good example of why being a local leader is really important to keep your eye on, on the needs and concerns of our local folks. Like you said, they just want their taxes lowered. Sometimes you have to stand with your party and the president. Sometimes you have to stand up to them. I would, I would advocate as one of my very first top priorities is to get rid of that tax. So we got to keep an eye on it because it's very important. Taxes are high, costs are high. We're losing people because they can't afford housing. They, you know, salaries aren't keeping up with the cost of living. Inflation feels like a pay cut. So we have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep costs down. Did, did you support the, the president's uh, recent plan for student loan debt forgiveness uh, at the federal level that was recently announced? Yeah, well, of course, I didn't, I didn't cast a vote on it, but it's not, a perfect, it's not a perfect solution. I think that it should be more targeted. I think that you need, I'm a former fraud prosecutor. I also made my own decisions about where I went to school based on what the costs would be. Um, I was very fortunate to get scholarships to the schools that I went to, and that's why I went, because I knew I wanted to go into public service, and I didn't want to have to work for a corporate law firm, because it wasn't, you know, I didn't want, in other words, my debt to dictate my career. So I did make that decision, so I would be concerned that we not, um, that we not subsidize folks who are not being, you know, who are not making decisions that are, uh, you know, within reason or that can uh, afford, you know, go to a school because they can afford it. So I think I would have liked to have targeted that a little bit better. I'd also like to make sure that there were systems in place that would ensure that folks can't game the system and that, you know, people are held accountable. Um, and then on the other side of it, though, I think we can't have a whole generation of people who are just so crippled with debt that they, before they go into the workforce, that they can't become, you know, um, um, contributing members of our economy and have thriving lives. So that means that this may be a Band-Aid, you know, an imperfect Band-Aid, and what we really need to do is tackle the cost of higher education. There's, there's very loud voices out here, particularly in the trustees, that climate change on the East End will have a bigger impact than almost anywhere because these two little bony fingers sticking out into the Atlantic. Yeah. If elected to this position, how big an issue would that be for you, and what role do you think you could play in bringing attention to this? It's one of the most important things, I think, it would be my role uh, as, a, as a representative uh, would be to um, to ensure that that critically important issue is given full attention in the resources of the federal government. I've done it for years. So we are a thousand miles of coastline in uh, Suffolk County, um, and we are, as you mentioned, under under you know direct threat of climate change. So um, you know I represent Montauk. 
where um, you know there's a there's a sandbags holding up the beach, which and billions of dollars of property just hanging on the edge there. Um, so your your observation is a great one. Uh, Fire Island is also, you know, barrier islands are also critically important. But beyond that, we have our coastlines. Of course, we're seeing coastal erosion. We're seeing loss of critical wetlands. Um, wetlands play a very important infrastructure function, particularly in extreme weather events, in absorbing storm surge. If we lose those, if we lose our barrier islands, our properties are under direct threat, but also our way of life. You know, we're seeing shoaling of navigation channels, we're seeing flooding of um, coastal communities, and even when there's no rain event, all we need is a full moon and communities are flooding. So uh, it, flood insurance premiums are going up and, and uh, emergency responders can't get to neighborhoods. You know, um, these are very, very real issues for us and we need to take it on. Uh, there are a couple of things that we need to do. Number one, we need to uh, invest in ways to, um, uh, in climate action. We need to bring the, our, our uh, contribution to uh, climate change down. And we can do that, we are, we are now gonna be, ho this district is gonna be host to the first commercial scale ocean wind project in the United States. Um, and that offers a lot of opportunity for job growth, but it also offers a lot of opportunity for reducing our carbon emissions. We need electric charging stations and we need um, support and incentivizing of purchasing of electric vehicles. And then we need, of course, uh, to deal with battery storage and um, to invest in smart battery technology. Um, not smart like computerized, but I mean thoughtful. <laughs> um, and then of course solar. A few years ago was able to find a small pot of money uh, in the legislative budget and we $200,000 we started a project that we issued an RFP asking for bids um, from engineering companies that would identify uh, vulnerable coastal properties owned by county taxpayers and then propose proactive infrastructure projects to uh, protect those vulnerable coastline communities. When American Rescue Plan was passed, uh, you know, I saw an opportunity, I, I bugged the county executive and he agreed to put another million dollars into that project. So it's not a ton of money, you know, relative to what you need, it's $1.25 million, but they will be identifying 25 coastline properties that are vulnerable to climate change. And if I'm in Congress, then I can start to advocate for investment in those in those properties one of the things we're seeing at the state level uh, certainly is you know more of a push toward electric vehicles as a way to reduce emissions how, how would you support uh, initiatives um, toward you know pushing people toward a, a electric vehicles and what kind of um, as federal policies um, could help uh, build that infrastructure and make it more viable for people at the consumer level i think uh, tax incentives are very effective i have a solar on my rooftop because of a town program that gave a town program that was based on federal tax incentives, um, where you get uh, tax relief for investing, you do the same thing 
with electric vehicles. You need to find places for the electric vehicle charging stations. You all, we also need to start dealing with batteries if we're going to be pushing this. And that's something that I think we also need support from the federal government for because it's not, it's not without cost. So we want to incentivize investment. We also want to do it in a way that respects local zoning and local community concerns. And that's going to take a federal local partnership. This election here in our first district is very much part of the national debate over the future of Congress, who's running Congress. This is how this is a critical seat in terms of flipping it and keeping, as you say, McCarthy out of power. I mean, just yesterday he said he doesn't want to give a black check to Ukraine, which seems like a very, um, very critical issue for this country moving forward. So, do you see this race as just being one of the most important in the country? I do. It's why we're working so hard. Mm -hmm. I also think that we need to be mindful that Long Island not get lost. The needs and concerns of Long Island not get uh, um, uh, swallowed up Mm -hmm. by the national debate. So I think what's required here is um, a thoughtful, committed representative who uh, is both uh, ready to protect American democracy and our fundamental freedoms and at the same time has the knowledge and experience to be a champion for our local communities. What, are you, what is your position on uh, aid to Ukraine and Taiwan and so forth? The president did a very good job in unifying NATO prior to the invasion. I think that we must stand up for a country that is subject to uh, an unprovoked attack by an authoritarian government. And so I... Um, I support uh, the unified support of NATO for uh, Ukraine, both at a humanitarian level and a military level. I do not think we should engage in the conflict, but I think we need to support them. In terms of gun, gun control, gun reform, um, what's, what's critical to be done at the federal level if you get elected? What are you immediately going to try to push for on that front? And what can be done? Well, seems like a hopeless cause anymore. Well, not anymore. We just we did get uh, background checks. Uh, we got the first significant um, gun safety legislation in decades uh, just passed. Right. So so uh, there is hope because there is um, widespread support for some of the common sense solutions that can be undertaken. Um, So I would say, and by the way, my opponent, who has a high grade from the NRA, I have an F grade from the NRA, that is because uh, my opponent is like um, many who, you know, whose agendas he shares. Uh, is in the grips of the NRA and the gun lobby. So what we, so, um, but that's not where the American people are. The American people want to end this epidemic of gun violence and stop some of these horrific, horrific things that have happened in our country and continue to happen. We need to ban assault-style weapons. We need to ban high-capacity magazines. We need to ban high-velocity ammunition like was used in the Uvalde shooting. We need to have universal background text. We need to close the loophole um, for gun shows. Um, And we need to hold manufacturers of of weapons accountable like every other uh, product liability 
uh, manufacturers held accountable when the things that they produce um, bring harm to folks. I'd just like to bring the conversation back to um, abortion real quick. Sure. Um, with the overturn of Roe v. Wade, there's been a lot of conversation about reforming the Supreme Court. Yes. Uh, is that something that you've thought about or would push for if you were elected to Congress? I certainly have thought about it. How could we not think about it? It's, it's a challenging question. I went to the University of Virginia, Mr. Jefferson's university. I, I am a, you know, a, a student of American history and a lawyer, and I think the basic institutions of our government have been remarkably resilient over time, and they're being tested right now, as we saw with the riot uh, you know, on January the 6th. So, um, so I think that, uh, on the one hand, we need to see that what, what happened here is, is very problematic and we have to examine why and take steps to address it. And on the other hand, I think we need to protect our basic fundamental, you know, the fundamental institutions that make it a resilient system. There are justices on the Supreme Court who uh, lied under oath in their confirmation hearings, who said that they would honor the fact that Roe v. Wade is established law, that they would honor the concept of stare decisis, you know, uh, adhering to precedent, and they didn't. So I think that needs to be looked at. And um, one of the, our justices, um, his wife has been very seriously implicated in an attempt to overthrow a free and fair election. That's problematic. So I think that we need to look at the competence and, the, and that these folks are on the court right now, I think is something that needs to be examined. And I would, I would certainly support that if, you know, if I make it up to, to Capitol Hill. These justices have abandoned their responsibilities uh, and lied. And you know, so we have to look at the, the, the impacts on women. And by the way, not just women, same-sex marriage, contraception, freedom to have, you know, intimate, private, privacy in your home. These things are all in the crosshairs as well. I think we're uh, almost out of time here. So uh, do you want to make one last uh, pitch to the voters? I am uh, delighted to have represented these great communities um, uh, on the East End uh, for many years. I take very seriously uh, the work that my team and I do, and I'm proud of the support that we have uh, going into it. I need as many votes as possible, you know, on the North and South Fork. Uh, we got to crush it out here to bring this home. Um, but I think um, that I, I hope that I have earned the support of voters by my commitment to serving my community. We are a time in our country where uh, fundamental freedoms are at stake. American democracy itself is at stake. And this is a struggle that is running, as, as you know, we've discussed, right through New York One. We have to take that seriously. Each of us has to stand up for what we believe in uh, and, you know, in order to support American democracy, this great country that we love. Uh, and, and if that can be done by someone like myself who also has a deep commitment to these communities and, and uh, you know, ensuring that the federal government is serving us in the best way possible, then I think that's kind of an ideal circumstance for me. I'm proud to be in this role right now. Um, it's tough. It's going to be a very close election. Um, and we're leaving it all on the table because of the level of importance. But I hope that we will be able 
to take the, I will be able to take this on and be a champion for Long Island and for America in the United States Congress. Thank you. We really appreciate you coming in. Thank you. That was our episode of A Closer Look. Thank you so much for listening. Today's episode was produced by Tara Smith, and the music heard is courtesy of Storyblocks, Let the Expert Explain, by Music Media Group. We'll see you next time. Be sure to follow our election coverage online at suffoltimes.com and riverheadnewsreview.com.